2 Timothy 1.7 is the verse I want to share with you. And it's a very familiar verse. It's um, Paul writing to a young pastor named Timothy. And Timothy struggled with being intimidated. Uh, Timothy was younger than most of the people he was leading. And so Paul wrote a couple of letters, First and Second Timothy, to, uh, to Timothy. And throughout those letters, you kind of find that the veteran apostle Paul is trying to work very delicately but clearly with timid Timothy and saying, stop being afraid. Stop being hesitant. And then he says in 2 Timothy 1.7 that the Lord has not given us the spirit of fear, but a power and love and a sound mind. I learned it in the King James. That's how I remember it. Power, love, and a sound mind. In the ESV, it says power and love and self-control. And so when we are looking at the world around us today, and I'm not even talking about the world way out there. I'm talking about the culture you and I are living in. And we see what's going on in our region. We see what's going on um, nationally. We see chaos. And we see division. And we see violence. And we see abounding evils. And so many of us have gotten to the place where we don't even want to watch the news. And we don't want to get too in-depth on scanning the headlines on CNN or Fox or Drudge or wherever it is you might uh, pick up your news bits. We, we listen and we wonder, what is the next furious fireball that's going to land somewhere near my life? And then we get reports from things that are normal during the course of life when our bodies don't want to work like they're supposed to because we're no longer as young as we once were. Or maybe even in the prime of life where we go for a routine checkup and we leave there knowing it was anything but routine because of what was discovered. I, I, I know of someone in the last 12 months who was moving forward in life and marriage and literally came home one day and a wife of many years just said, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. And he and she and their children, their, their lives were just up, up, uh, turned on its head. We think about global things and the insanity of the uh, international political scene and North Korea and Russia and Iran and ISIS and um, all of the, the mayhem, the killings, the beheadings. In the year 2016, there was an estimated 90,000 Christian martyrs in the world. So fill up SunTrust Field, which opened on Friday to the public, and add about 25% more. And that's the number of our brothers and sisters who looked evil in the eye and refused to budge and recant. And there was something in them, someone working in them. And in the natural, of course there would be a reason to fear but there was something that had trans, uh, transformed their lives 
to where they were able to hear the Lord in the hour of travail and trial and say, he's worthy of my trust. He's worthy of my ongoing confidence. He's worthy of my loyalty. When I think about all of the big stuff, like I've just painted the macro view of, most of us can sit in our living rooms and witness those kind of things, and we can live with a certain detachment. But as things don't get better month after month, year after year, what happens is we start breathing in the air of a fearful climate. It's there when you arise in the morning, just like it was yesterday. And, and is the, it's almost like a, an unholy spiritual smog. It, it just grows in its intensity. And we breathe in that air. We inhale it. It gets in our spiritual lungs. It gets in our minds. It begins to work its way into our lifeblood, our, our veins that, that pump, and our, and our heart begins to pump it. And the only way to counteract the fear of this world, and by the way, the ultimate terrorist is Satan himself. He's an ultimate terrorist. He operates constantly in the realm of fear. It is his choice weapon. It has always been his choice weapon. That is why it is counteracted with the most often repeated command that God gives in Scripture, the most often repeated command is, do not be afraid. Why? Because Satan has an arsenal of fiery darts of fear that he shoots and he shoots and he shoots. And he's learned where our gaps in the armor are. So God comes in and he preaches to us. And he gives us in the word. We hear it from the son of God. We hear it from the prophets. We hear it from God himself. As Amy spoke over this congregation earlier saying, there are some battles that you just need to not give in to your impulse, to do something, to fight or flight, that kind of impulse. But you stand still and you recognize this one's on him. I'm going to watch what he's going to do. And friends, we are... We are reared with this understanding. It's a faulty understanding. It is a Western philosophy. It is an American pillar that we are capable and independent and we are made to handle things. And so from kindergarten on up, we're taught how to handle things, make something happen. The race is to the swift. The early bird gets the worm. Someone once said, yeah, it's the early bird that gets the worm but it's the first rat that goes after the cheese that gets the mousetrap, amen? It's both sides of it. The point being is this. When that kind of thinking enters into our walk with Jesus, we move in and out of trust. We trust him for the big things, but we falsely believe that he wants us to handle all the little things on our own. And eventually you come to a place in life where you realize, I can't even handle the little things well. And so fear can creep in. We're afraid of the physical. We're afraid of the spiritual. We're afraid of the unknown. And so what do we do? We train ourselves. We educate ourselves. We groom generation after generation to plan and plan and plan again and over plan and replan and doubly plan. 
And so as, as time goes on, we find out this, that, that we have mastered the art of planning, but we have not yet mastered how to walk by faith with Jesus. And so we want to make sure that not only is the I dotted, but that it is a perfectly aligned dot above that I. And so we spend hours in angst inwardly and mentally, and we want things just so. And yet what we're learning is this, most planning that is happening among Christians, and I'm not against planning per se, but I, I feel like we need to, we need to kind of counteract the, the, the spirit because most planning, whether it's financial, whether it's life trajectory, whether it's how to raise our kids, whether it's planning our estate for when we retire or where we die, most of it, if you will pull away all the weeds, you'll find out that most of our planning is motivated by fear. It's motivated by fear. I dare say that many in the kingdom are living, missing present opportunity to sow time and energy and money into the kingdom today because they're afraid of not having enough time or energy or money later on down the road. So everywhere we go, we're confronted with fear. You're in a church that exists because two separate congregations chose not to operate in fear. That is why New Bridge Church exists today, is because a handful of hundred people, maybe together 400 people, came together in a time of surrendering control and releasing the knowns and not having the plan upon the plan upon the plan. Your leaders offered no guarantees. We made no pledges. We promised to consecrate our heart unto the Lord and stay on our knees and stay in the word and communicate with each other and openly lead as God leads us. We, we have fulfilled that pledge and continue that pledge. But ultimately, the very church that we are a part of, this body of believers known as New Bridge, had to break through the very first wall and the very first wall was fear. We had to say, there's nobody we can turn to to ask, how do you take an Assemblies of God church and an Independent Baptist church and make a healthy church? Go ahead and Google and see how many books you can find on that one. God Almighty, the creator of all that is, ambushed a 42-year-old pastor in a rocking chair after a day at Cornerstone Fellowship of Decula. And as that pastor laid there in the recliner, the Lord said, I'm about to wake you up. <laughs> and that pastor came the next day to a Baptist pastor, not having a clue how that pastor would respond. He said, I want you to tell me openly and honestly how this resonates with you after I share it. And in that moment, it was literally a two-hour meeting. We looked each other in the eye, and faith blossomed, and the fragrance was in the room, and fear had to exit. There were other layers that had to be incorporated. Then it's easy for two pastors to say, hallelujah, giving holy high fives to each other. It was great. And then all of a sudden, we, as we're walking out, we say, oh, yeah, what about two sets of elders? 
So we brought the elders together. And I'm going to tell you that there was not one single leader who operated in fear and said, there's no way this can be done. There were a lot of questions about how in the world are we going to be able to do this, but every single leader sensed faith. And then again, fear was asked, leave the meeting. And so we built and we built and we built. Now listen, I'm not boasting. I'm going to tell you this. The reason why is because God was front and center. He was loud and clear. He was moving. And then through a year of transition, a year where we were two congregations getting to know each other, a year where nobody got it exactly the way they wanted. That's, by the way, a part of our motto here. It's unofficial, but nobody gets everything they want, but everybody gets a little of what they want. And that's what we call, it's a really, really mysterious word. It's called cooperation, amen. And so we, we just began and we had growing pains and we worked through it. And at times we recognized this is not going to be for everybody. And the, there were people that left and people that left in ways that we wish they hadn't have left. But in the end, we, we just kept our eyes focused on the Lord and said, Lord, you called us to this place. You called us to this work. You birthed this vision. It's yours. We're not trying to get you to bless what we came up with. We're trying to abide in what you came up with. And so during that year of, of just transition, and we got so sick of that word around here, but that, that year, there were moments where we had to make decisions, moments where we had to put some things down and raise some new things up. And every time, I'm going to tell you, it was as if fear was outside the door saying, y'all didn't invite me to this meeting, but I want to come in. And we'd send an elder out full of the Holy Spirit and say, would you politely ask fear to hit the parking lot and go somewhere else down the road. It's easy to see God in the past 15, 12 months, planning 14 months, but 12 months as a church. It's easy to see him, but, but I want you to know, everything that he gave us at the beginning was for that first year, and now this is the joy. We're starting to see what's coming next. We're starting to see how the Lord is spotlighting certain areas that he doesn't want to just have something done here, but that he wants to facilitate here because he's going to stream it out from here into our community and into our region. And so what we're realizing as now the dust has settled, the foundation has been uh, laid, we're realizing, okay, now we're standing on solid ground with Abba Father, and now we are listening and hearing the Holy Spirit, and now we have servants and sons and daughters who are serving in the right spots, and there are more that are coming in, and now we're seeing diversity grow in our worship, diversity grow in the expression of spiritual gifts. We're seeing diversity grow even in the racial makeup of the church. We're seeing diversity, but we're also sensing greater unity in the middle of all that. Do you know how that occurs? That occurs because the, whole, the Holy Spirit is saying, I am leading you. Come on. So let me tell you what, a couple of things. I'm going to give you three areas which we see the Lord highlighting and it crystallized in, in, in a, just in a moment of time. Dustin stepped in my office on Thursday, I think, maybe Wednesday last week. And he talked about a meeting he had had with uh, a man here at our church who specializes in campus ministry. 
It's Bart Jones, and Bart has been pouring his life into this, and primarily in downtown Georgia Tech area. And then we were also discussing earlier in the week about safe harbor and how God is entrusting. I've always, uh, let let me backtrack here for a minute, I'll pick back up. When I became pastor of Meadow Baptist Church in 2002, uh, in early 2003, January, I I cast a, a vision and, and, and I said, here's what I see the Lord doing, and this is where my heart is. And one of the major components of what I saw in 2003, early 2003, was that the Lord would establish, we were back in Duluth at that time, establish a piece of property at that time under the banner of Meadow Baptist Church, but he would establish it as a training center where people could come and not only be educated biblically, but equipped spiritually to do the work of ministry. And so what we found out in just the last few months is as the Lord, as we've operated in faith and refused to give in to the unknowns and not bowed down at the altar of every single I being dotted and every single T being crossed. By the way, I'm stirred in my spirit right now about that. If you are living and, and you must understand everything that God is doing, chances are you're not following him. He is not obligated to go full disclosure. As a matter of fact, he's against going full disclosure. It is not the just shall live by guarantees and syllabuses or syllabi. It's the just shall live by, shout it. Come on, shout it. Faith. Faith. So we don't know everything, but we do know this. The Lord spotlighted an opportunity for adults through Safe Harbor Ministries under this roof, starting like now, for you to gain not only an education and a degree, that's good, but I'm going to tell you what Pastor Dustin said earlier. I I can tell you, I thank God for education, but my education taught me not a scintilla of what ministry and hands-on working in the kingdom actually taught me. I wasn't educated into the kingdom. I was mentored into certain parts of the kingdom and certain things into the kingdom. Safe Harbor is going to train and teach some of you. Some of you are born into the kingdom for such a time as this that God does not want you singing. God does not want you uh, 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 merely doing the things that you've excelled in in the past, but he's calling you to step it up because he's going to suit you up as a warrior in the kingdom, and you're going to be used in spiritual combat at a level you never have before, literally going up against the forces of hell, and part of that is going to come through the training and equipping that you can receive through Safe Harbor Ministries. That's primarily for our adults. When Dustin came back and shared with me, and we've been wanting to partner as a church with Bart Jones really since the beginning, but working uh, missions, things out, and getting things going. And Dustin came back to me last week. He says, man, I just really think it's an opportunity. Can I share any of those specifics or not? Okay. So Dustin and Bart, Bart's been down in, Bart, raise your hand right over here, but there's Bart right here. He's, he's been working primarily downtown. You do realize that we're like, we're like six miles away from a campus, a college in our own backyard. How many? 15,000, I think, students at GGC. And our church doesn't have a ministry to those college-age students who are being fed from their culture so much that opposes the kingdom of God. And God is beginning to birth a trajectory to where we're going to work diligently as we follow him to establish a ministry through students in our church that already go to GGC that we might be able to have inroads into college-age minds because I'm going to tell you something. We believe that millennials are going to be a mighty force to be reckoned with in the coming years. Say, Jeff, who are the millennials? If you're 30 or younger, you're a millennial. 
Those that are in their 20s, and some of you early 30 years, you, you get in under the radar. The millennials are typically people 33 to, to uh, uh, you know, teenage years. And we know that they're going to be facing things that we haven't faced. And I'm going to tell you something. The, 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 the objective reasons that they might have to fear are going to be great. And so what are we going to do? We're going to equip them in faith. We're going to reveal to them a God who is greater than anything coming against them. We're going to teach them that God didn't quit healing at the end of the first century. That God didn't say to the devil and all of his demons that they got the upper hand back then and he's hoping to reclaim it someday. That our God has not changed. That Jesus Christ is still Lord. And we're going to impart unto them a holy confidence that comes through the word of God and through the active work of the Holy Spirit. And we are literally going to train from that generation and younger, train them to understand that they're not hoping to get victory when they go to heaven. Listen, we're not supposed to get exported to heaven to enjoy the victory. Jesus said, pray to the Father that the kingdom comes here. And the reality of the culture of heaven is victory. And so if we're to have heaven's culture here, part of that is going to be victory. So we want to reach out to, to college students. We're going to. We're going to reach out to adults of any age. But there's something we're going to be bringing you, Lord willing, in a couple of weeks that we, we, we do have to make some cross T's and some dotted I's. But right now, as I speak to you, and I just I sense the liberty of the Lord to put this out there, that we've also been offered an amazing opportunity from the Lord to begin to reach K-4 through 8th grade right here at New Bridge Church with a three-day-a-week school. Yes. There's going to be more details that will come later, but I can tell you this, myself, Pastor Dustin, and the elders are meeting tomorrow night, and this is a school that has been in our community for about eight years, and we have been praying for a year, for a year, waiting on the Lord, saying, Lord, is this of you? And then we had so much going on last year, and about three months ago, we started strongly sensing this is of the Lord. So if the Lord continues to lead us, and we do not give in to the, all, the, all the nuances of what ifs, how mights, and woulda, shoulda, coulda, and all of the stuff that, that kind of just encrunch, encr- uh, yeah, English is a second language. Help me, Holy Spirit. That, that encroach, that's the word I was looking for. Encroach on our thinking. The cares of this world. Isn't it, isn't it interesting that when Jesus was talking about the seed going into the ground, that one of the things that stopped that seed from becoming what it was meant to be was the thorns of the cares of the world? Have you ever felt the prick of the cares of this world digging into every part of your life? You know what it is? And I, obviously this is not the same as the crown that Jesus wore, but we crown our minds with thorny stuff. We, we put the most complicated scenario over something that God sets right in front of us, and we say, Lord, that looks great, but let me pick it up. Let me look at every angle. Let me turn it around. Let me throw it up in the air. Let me apply some of this and this and this. Let me get 19 other people to validate, and Lord, it's got to be you. And we take something that God puts right in front of us, and under the auspice of being careful, being responsible, we say, I don't think it can be done. Because we don't have all the answers at step one. Do you remember what God told to Abraham? He said, Abraham, I want you to go to a country that I'll show you. I want you to go to a country that I'll show you. And Abraham, the father of faith, said, okay. 
and he left everything. He left everything and began to move toward the place of God's calling that was not specified. It was not fully quantified. He did not have all of the details of the covenant fully disclosed at that time. All he knew was that this God who he had never known had sovereignly introduced himself to Abram. And Abram had grown to know one thing, that this almighty God is worthy of my trust. And that's the way God still operates, by the way. God didn't do that so we would have a perpetual Bible story for 4,000 years. The reason why God called Abraham is because he's a prototype of what it means to walk by faith. In other words, there are times where God's going to call you to step out into the unknown in a direction that he's going to clarify as you go. And yet we have been raised and reared through so many different forces and influences that we've been taught, oh, we we can't make a move until we have all the answers. And we actually slap each other on the back and say, that's being prudent. That's being responsible. That's amazing. You are an impeccable leader or you are an impeccable follower. When I think the angels of God sometimes look at us and they're saying, you haven't seen the one that we worship. You haven't seen the one that we call holy, holy, holy. Because if you had known him and you had seen him, you would not be slapping each other on the back because of your fear. See, brothers and sisters, we are not the generation that God has sovereignly decreed will be exempt from living by intense faith. We're not, we're not that generation. See, we, we've, the oldest person in here might be 90-something years old. The youngest in here might be eight or nine. But, but we, we've lived in a culture that for decades we've had it made. We have it made. I understand the Great Depression, but the Great Depression that hit America is the normal reality and better than the normal reality for probably two-thirds of the world's population. We have everything we need. And I'm not telling you that you should feel guilty about that, but I am saying this, you should slow down and think, what do I do with all that? What do I do with what the Lord has given me? Do you you know what the devil wants you to do with it? He wants you to get Get more, get more, and then he's going to whisper, you better be careful because somebody's going to come and take it. And so you figure out clever ways to keep what you've gotten. You wrap an arm around it. You hit your leg around it. And you're wondering why you you can't walk by faith. Nobody walks by faith like this. (laughs) You can't walk by faith with your arms and legs wrapped around your stuff trying to make sure. You can't even lift a hand and worship when you're doing that. But this is the culture that we've been trained in. So anything that threatens our security, anything that causes us to feel subjectively uh, unstable, anything that reduces our control, we start saying, it's probably not of God. (laughs) She... She's still saying the, she's st- still saying the, the hop of no faith. <laughs> I won't be doing it again. I won't be doing it again. My wife only lets me embarrass myself once per sermon. So, The whole point being this, friends, listen, this isn't for the other guy. You see, when we're talking about fear, it's real easy for us to come in, worship. We see people come down. They're experiencing God calling them forth. They're wrestling with something. And we're thinking to ourselves, man, I'm, I'm glad I don't have anything I'm afraid of. 
until circumstances get in too close of a proximity to your crutches, to the thing you lean on, to the thing you hold on to. And then all of a sudden, fear starts moving in there and we start having to respond. The Lord doesn't give you a spirit of fear. That's just Bible. So in, in years where I lived with anxiety as a Christian, I lived for probably five years under um, an intense cloud of anxiety, almost all of it attached to ministry and people. It was, a, it was a casualty of being a pastor, but it didn't have to be that way. I responded poorly, and the reason why is as long as I could manage things, I felt, felt pretty comfortable. And what God did, because I was praying, Lord, just, Lord, you know I'm faithful. You know I love you. You know I want to I praise you and worship you and serve you. So please get all of my problems out of the way. And by the way, just to let you know, my problems are this person, this person, this person, this person, and this person. And do you know what the Lord did? He said, that's a cute prayer, Jeff. That's really cute. I tell you what I'm going to do. I'm not only going to leave those six people there, I'm going to add about nine more. <laughs> and at the time, you know, I'm dying, I'm drowning. And, and it got deeper and deeper year after year. And eventually, through wise counsel and through really, quite frankly, a fresh baptism in the Spirit where God broke the yoke off of me, it was just an amazing work that he did in my office. It was such a supernatural encounter that it would probably scare some of you, but I'm going to tell you, everything in my office changed as I was praying with uh, Jude Yugbo, who is a prophet from Nigeria. He came by the other day, and we just reminisced of that, sitting in that same office. But literally, the whole atmosphere in the office changed, and it, it, it felt like a mist moved in, and God broke that off of me. But here's the deal. The thing I feared and the thing I loathed didn't go away. It was still there. The difference was made internally. And so what was the lesson? The lesson was, Jeff, you don't grow in faith by, removing, by me removing the things that cause you to be afraid. You grow in faith when you stay near me in the presence of those things that you were afraid of. And so what I learned was this, that my courage, my courage is a result of my proximity to Jesus, my nearness to Jesus. Are there things today that I'm afraid of? There are things today that I don't have answers for. There are things today that I can't fix or solve or change. But are there things that I am afraid of? Not perpetually. Brothers and sisters, I'm going I'm to wrap it up. I'm just going to wrap it up here in a moment. But I, I want to say this. Matter of fact, worship team, y'all just come on up. I, I, we're going to have another time of ministry. I think some of you don't feel afraid because he's, he's not testing you in certain areas. And so we can live with kind of a, a flippant, glib, detached confidence that we misunderstand as being spiritually mature, but the reality is, is because we're living and we're controlling most of what's going on in our lives. We've just set, we've insulated ourselves. 
We've insulated ourselves. So if this happens, that's okay because I planned and planned and planned and I've got that. And if this happens, well, that's okay because I've planned and planned and I have these resources. And, and, and so what we've done is we've insulated ourselves. And, and the thing that, that we fear is what I'm, oh yeah, what, what I'm sensing right now is the thing we fear is if God takes away the insulation. That's, that's what kind of makes our heart grow. Can you trust the Lord if he doesn't keep everything safe? He, he, he has not laid upon you a prefabricated, cushioned cross with beautiful embroidery and dense foam to where you can wear it, you can tote it, you can accessorize it. You can walk wherever you want with it. You can almost forget it's there. And friends, that's the American cross. It's the American cross. Sometimes God says, child, I love you and you have begun well. But I told you that I, I was going to make you like my son. He's the one that you adore. And I remember when you cried to me early on, make me like Jesus. See, I'm your father, and I heard that prayer, and I didn't forget it. But I can't make you like Jesus when you're carrying around this cushioned cross. So as I began to tear away at the fabric that you've wrapped around it, as I began to strip it of its foam, and don't be afraid of the tearing sound. I'm just bringing you closer to, to my son. I'm just going to let you feel the rugged timbers. I'm, I'm just going to let you know that there's a, there's, a, there's a cross to be carried that will bring life. And God pulls off all the stuff that makes the cross feel comfortable. And sometimes it looks like shattered dreams that we don't understand on the day they shattered. Sometimes it looks like a terrible report from the physician. God didn't give you that report. But he's going to shepherd you in how you respond to it to become more like Jesus. I felt the, the cushion rip off my cross while I'm standing at a graveside saying goodbye to somebody that I don't want to say goodbye to. Sometimes it's when your name's slandered. Sometimes it's when you're misunderstood by those that you love the most. Sometimes it's, it's the fifth year in a row where you're not appreciated, not recognized, and not promoted by man. And you feel undervalued and irrelevant. Sometimes it's when you've gotten old and you hear the tearing of the cushion off the cross as he lays it on you afresh. And you're older in years and it's not your generation anymore. And you look out and you recognize that your prime in the sense of your age was a few years back, maybe a decade back. And you're realizing now that your job and your calling is to serve the generation coming behind you. You see, the ripping off of the comfort of our lives is unique to each of us. The reason why God does this is because ultimately, when life comes to its close, 
The primary thing that the Father wants to leave us with is a clear vision of who Jesus is. And as we look at him, we see two things. We see in his face the reflection of who everybody else is. Because by the way, your life has a horizontal aspect. Yes, vertically you are here for the glory of Jesus Christ and that will be your existence forever. But while we're on earth, the Lord who loves you with an everlasting love says, I want you to love what I love and I love people. And so you see them as they are. And so the second thing you see, you see him, you see people. And then this last thing is you actually get to see yourself. I haven't developed this yet, but I hope to. I believe there's an appropriate way for us to say biblically that God delights in you coming to know who you are. That's not Dr. Phil. That's not Oprah. I believe that God delights in you coming to that place where you know who you are and why you are. Because in that place, you're able to glorify him. A, for who he has made you, what he has given you, but you're also able to say, and Lord, I now can thank you for all the things that you never gave me and even for some of the things that you let me turn loose of. Fear has no place in that equation. Fear ultimately is proportional to our distrust of God. And today, this is what I'm asking. I'm asking for us to get raw and honest. I'm asking for you to be willing to go to a scary place in your heart because most of us have a anything but this, Lord, right? Y'all are looking really pious. Almost all of us say, Lord, touch we, I surrender all but this. Take it all, Lord. It's all yours but this. And this one thing, though he may never touch it, the very fact that our heart trembles at the thought of it is a sign that God is saying, you need to draw nearer. You can trust me with even that. I want us to stand to our feet this morning. This is a different type of time of ministry. As a church, as we move forward, I'm going to tell you, we're going to crush fear. We're going to crush it. Why? Because the spirit of it can never get into this house. When the climate of fear takes over an assembly,